Hello, it's Arthur and Owen here. Hello. Um, this is a Baker Bugbrook episode, so if you don't know who Baker Bugbrook is, we'd recommend that you go back and listen to... The Essex Demon. And The Bargain, parts one and two. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like Succession, so if, if you don't go back and listen to them, you're not going to be massively confused in this episode. But it will enhance your listening experience. Yeah. Enjoy! Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. A photograph. A photo graph. Un photographo. It's a word that tells a thousand pictures. A word, just a word, but also a thousand pictures. Photo, from the Greek word phos, meaning light, and graph, from the Greek word graph, meaning graph. And what is a graph, if not a drawing? Put those two components together and you have light drawing. But dear listener, as I sit in my New York-style loft apartment here in Los Angeles, California, I am acutely aware that the story I am about to share with you is anything but light. No, it's darker than light. Far, far darker. And it all starts with a photograph. An unassuming, not at all special photograph. Where it ends? Well... It ends in the jaws of hell itself. From the creators of Terry, A Life on Tape, and Bill Coyote and The Bargain, The Truth, I'm Baker Bugbrook, and this is Shooting Silver, Memoirs of a Canon EOS 5D Mark IV. It all started at a celebrity charity wrestling match. What had led me there? Well, I had escaped the Vatican after negotiating my release with the Pope and managed to get myself a freelance contract as a gossip columnist with the LA Times. This was a new venture for me. I had never covered gossip and always turned my nose up at the idea. After all, great minds discuss ideas and small minds discuss gossip. I was a serious journalist, indeed one of the best in my age group and weight class. The concept of celebrity had really started to pique my interest. You see, my own personal journey was teaching me a thing or two about the topic. My investigation into Bill Coyote and the Bargain had thrust me into the mainstream. Over 100 people followed me on Twitter in a single month. There was no denying that I was viral. I was no longer just an industry-revered, award-nominated podcaster, but was also now an icon. I could bring insight to the gossip column, but I must admit I felt like a fraud. Every time I held my dictaphone aloft towards Danny Trejo's angelic teeth, I felt imposter syndrome coursing through my veins like blood. But I was happy to stoop so low as to interview my fellow stars. 
I was happy to enter the role play where I'd pretend to be interested in their lives and they would pretend not to know who I was. And that's why I ended up covering the celebrity wrestling match for the LA Times. A wrestling match that would thrust me into a secret world of anonymity and danger. The world of the paparazzi. The charity wrestling match was waged between Celine Dion and Nora Jones. I was in the front row, pen and pad in hand and hand, when someone at the end of my row to the left began a Mexican wave. Now, I have never missed an opportunity to execute a flawless Mexican wave. The key is to tap into the collective consciousness, the hive mind. Think as one with my fellow Mexicans. The wave went from left to right fine enough, though it was tarnished in performance by an unfocused child somewhere down the line. Like all good Mexican waves, once it reached the end of the row, it returned back from whence it had come. For Mexican waves, like actual waves, ripple back. As I stood up for the second time, an astute paparazzi took a photo of the crowd. Flash! The sound of the flash. Click! The sound of the clicker. And in a moment less than a quarter of a second, little did I know that my next story had been decided. And I must warn you, dear listener, it leads into a dark underworld. You see, paparazzos will stop at nada in order to get the shot, even if that means that someone will die. Kazook, kazook, the sound of the printer, printing my fate. That photograph of the Mexican wave was published in the LA Times. You may have seen it. It's the photo where I look like I may or may not have wet my pants. I can confirm here and now that the guy next to me was holding a cup of beer and he had just thrust his arms into the air for the Mexican wave and so could definitely have spilled some of it onto the crutch of my cashmere slacks. There are plenty of explanations as to how it looks like I wet myself. And only one of those explanations is that I wet myself. Think about it straight. Statistically, it's one in God knows how many chance that I went pee-pee in my pants. Only one. We are statistically more likely to be living in a simulation. There's no doubt that the photo would not have been published if I wasn't a celebrity in my own right. I had noticed the jealousy coming at me from my editor. I had noticed his attitude when, after using his parking space, I reminded him quite politely who I was. The day it went to press, I burst into the editor's office and gave him a piece of my mind. He swore that he had no idea that I had been present on the front row that day. He tried to convince me that he hadn't noticed the fact that it looked like I did or did not pee myself. What a liar. What a cur. What a gossip column editor. I demanded my liberty and left the LA Times once and for all. I wanted answers, and in a rage such as I was, I took one of the copies of the particular issue of the LA Times from the top of the pile in the boot of my car and scanned the edges of the photo for the name of the photographer. Leech. Jordan Leech. Could you tell me your name and a little about yourself? Jordan Leech. Ah, uh, yeah. 
photographer. Uh, I don't really know what else you'd be interested in. Don't like being on the other end of it, do you? Well, no, it's not that. It's just that I've not had a very interesting life, really. Photographed Mick Jagger at a children's petting zoo at Easter once. He told me to piss off and threw his sarnie at me. <laughs> well, I know Britney. Spent every day with her for years and years. You're friends with Britney Spears? Friends? Well, I doubt she'd remember me now. No, no, no. I followed her, mainly. And how did you end up in the City of Angels? Oh, well, uh, job prospects. If you shoot celebs, you're going to want to live in a city that's infested with them. What brought you to being a pap? Oh, well, that's a long story. We've got time, Jordan. Well, uh, I was a naughty child, unfocused. I'd probably be diagnosed with ADHD these days, but that was the 70s and was a different time for so many reasons. But my mother got me a camera for my eighth birthday, a Kodak Instamatic 104, gorgeous thing. And that started me off on an addiction that would last my whole life. I took to the streets. I loved street photography. I was constantly snapping. The spontaneity of it was a rush. I'd even go out and take photos when I couldn't afford a new roll of film. I'd just practice with the viewfinder and imagine the photos in my head. There's something about capturing people when they are unaware that makes you feel special, like a detective or a ghost. And the subjects are way more interesting when they're unaware of the camera. Mm? Far better than posed photos. I practice sneaking into tight spaces, hiding in shadows and creeping up on people like a wild game hunter. I found very soon I had a great knack for timing. Then, 85, the miners' strike was happening in the UK. Huge uprising of working people against the government. I took to the streets and joined them. But instead of holding a placard, I held my Kodak Instamatic 104. I was 15 or 16. I really believed in their cause and felt maybe that me and my camera might be able to help. And then as luck would have it, I snapped a photo that is, to this day, the best picture I've ever taken. It depicts a miner throwing a piece of coal at the then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. The look in the miner's face is filled with sorrow and determination. You can see the weight of the world on his shoulders and the anger in his eyes. And Thatcher, that beast, she's standing stoically, not an ounce of emotion in her face, cold, unrelenting, uncaring. It became an iconic photo almost immediately because I sent it to The Sun, which is a newspaper back home. They bought my photo for £2,040. I was stunned. They were giving me more money than I'd ever seen before uh, for a photo that I would have taken anyway. I mean, taking photos was my life. But, well, as I'm sure you know, Baker... Money is like a drug, and once you've had a taste for it, there's no going back. I tried giving them more of my street photography, but they weren't interested. So I asked them what they would like. 
They said, get us exclusive photos of celebrities. I said, I don't know any celebrities. They said, use your bloody brain, mate. You don't need to know celebrities. You just need to track them and catch them unawares. I said, oh, right. They said, a bonus if they were caught doing something scandalous and an even bigger bonus if they had their baps out. I said, oh, right. So that's how I got into papping. I rose to the top quite quickly because I was in the first wave of celeb hunters. I spent the next decade getting the goods and honing my craft. I bought longer and longer lenses and would go to the furthest lengths possible to get the shot. I'd often be found up a tree or in a bush or hanging from the side of some scaffolding. The problem was that everyone came to know me. If I was spotted in the area, celebs would go scampering like gazelles from a lion, and that's death for a pap. Anonymity is key. I ended up only being able to do the jobs where the celeb had phoned ahead and arranged a faux-candid park walk. Problem was, I was a big fish in a small pond. And what do you do when you outgrow the pond? Go across the pond. I had an American dream and I made it an American reality. So, here I am. And how was it getting to grips with L.A.? Had you been before? It's quite a culture shock. Oh, I'm happy anywhere. I'm like a cat. <laughs> Always land on my feet. Well, I was amazed. Everywhere I looked, I saw someone worth a shot. It was like a whole new world opened up to me. I was like a kid in a candy shop. Forget the money. I became obsessed with capturing every celebrity on the planet. I was a collector. Here's an interesting story for you. 95, I was downtown shooting a comic convention when I ended up getting chatting to a Japanese businessman or as I thought he was. I was running him through my camera setup, showing him the difference between a prime lens and a zoom, talking about setting up the camera to point and shoot anywhere. He seemed to be interested. I got to talking about what I have with you just now, about how I was obsessed with capturing all the celebrities. And I turned around and I said, and I swear blind, I said the following words, paparazzi, gotta capture them all. A year later, and Pokemon had taken the world by storm with the phrase, Pokemon, gotta catch them all. <sighs> Needless to say, the Japanese businessman was Sunikatsu Ishihara, the inventor of Pokemon. Wait, 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 wait. You met Sinokazu Ishihara? The Sinokazu Ishihara? Indeed I did. Filed a lawsuit against the mug. I invented Pokemon. Think about it. What is Pokemon, if not a perfect metaphor for papping? But with no proof of the conversation, I ended up losing a huge amount of money and was no longer able to afford my lodgings. So, for a time, I was homeless. I'm sorry to... I'm sorry to hear that. It suited me because I could get nearer the action without the hassle of having to shower. No one assumed anything of the grubby Brit in the sleeping bag. 
I once got a photo of Christina Aguilera handing me some change, but luckily, because of my position on the floor, you could see right up her skirt. And then I realized that the homeless angle was really profitable. You could literally take photos right up anyone who's anyone's skirt. Then, after snapping a photo right up Britney Spears' skirt, I was thrust back into the big time. Jordan, that's... awful. Oh, I'm not proud, Baker. I was literally working on dirty curb floors. Think about how demeaning that was for me. It was evocative of Oscar Wilde. I was literally lying in the gutter looking up at the stars. You know, once I turned to a bloke next to me and said, Cor, I'm now the bloody gutter press. Needless to say, that phrase entered common usage, but sadly there was no single person I could sue. But didn't you ever feel guilty? I was just following the money. I wouldn't have been doing it if the demand wasn't there. People saw celebs as public property. You've got to understand the public's appetite had changed. They didn't want glitz and glamour. They wanted dirt. They wanted truth. They wanted rawness. They wanted to see up people's skirts. And while up there, they wanted cellulite or a public breakdown or a drug addiction. I mulled over what Jordan had told me. It was true, being a celebrity does make you feel like public property. Perhaps the photograph where I may or may not have sprinkled in my slacks was just my version of this kind of treatment. It wasn't fair. And not for the first time in my life, I realized that I had something in common with Christina Aguilera. I was enthralled by the lifestyle of Jordan, doing whatever it takes to get the shot, collecting them all. He seemed removed from his subjects, had no empathy for them. I wanted to get inside his mind. I wanted to get inside his lens and have a look around. And so, I asked if I could shadow him for a while and investigate what it's like on the dark side of the lens. He told me that he'd be glad to have me along, so long as I promised to stay quiet and not get in the way. He was planning to take a candid photo of silver. Silver. No doubt you've heard of them. For those of you who have been living under a rock, silver is, or was, until they retreated from the public eye last year, the world's most highly paid and revered global supermodel. Famous for their almost golden eyes, which seem to glow. They transcended just modeling and started up their own ethically conscious faux fur fashion label as well as being one of the world's most admired animal rights activists. They also, like Prince, transcended needing a surname. Silver was a fiercely private person. And so it came as no shock when they disappeared from public engagements last year. Please note that the time of this investigation was prior to their public withdrawal. I met Jordan on Sunset Boulevard in a particularly roomy gooseberry bush and asked him, why are we shooting silver? Keep your fucking voice down. I told you to be quiet. We can't afford to be caught. Oh, don't start crying. Sorry. Look, we are shooting silver because they are the most elusive celebrity on the planet. No pap in history has ever managed to snap them outside of a work environment and no one knows where they live or who they're friends with. It's almost as if they are not a person at all, but rather a creation, a hologram or something. Silver is my holy grail. 
I've collected all the Pokemon, so to speak. And Silver is a 1999 Pokemon Shadowless First Edition Charizard PSA 10 Hollow or something. I don't really know the Pokemon. At that moment, Jordan shot out of the bush. It was clear to me how much he'd perfected the art of escaping thorny bushes. After a brief stint untangling my underwear, I stumbled into the street. Jordy had by this point pulled the door of the truck open and was screaming for me to hurry up. I ran as fast as my sandals would allow and hopped into the back seat. They're in that Mercedes there, look. They're in there. I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but Jordy drove like a whack job. Swerving this way and that, eyes like two hot pieces of coal. Coal that might be launched at Margaret Thatcher. He had no seatbelts in the back of his truck, and I am not ashamed to admit it. I was tossed around like a salad niçoise. I was clutching the camera I brought with me to my chest. I wanted to adhere to Jordy's first rule of street photography. Always protect the camera at all costs. If you fall over, injure yourself before breaking the camera. If you get sprayed with a hose, get yourself wet before getting the camera wet. And never, ever drink hot liquids anywhere near your kit. I called to Jordy to ask if this applied even to my $1.99 disposable from 7-Eleven and he didn't respond, which I took to mean yes. I was in immeasurable pain, but I clung to my Fuji even tighter. We were on a case, and when a case is on, you're on the case, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Please, Jordy, just slow down, slow down, slow down. Ah, 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 I think I'm bleeding, I think I'm bleeding. Shut up. Look, we're here. There's the Merc. They knew we were onto them, and so had jumped out and taken off by foot down a back alley. Oh, I think I'm bleeding. The pair of us jumped from the car like ninjas and ran into the alley down which Silver had run. It's a dead end. Oh, shit. Jordy had stepped in shit. A lot of it. I mean, I have to be honest, I have never seen a bigger pile of doggy doo-doo in my life. And my grandmother had two Great Danes. But no silver. They must have escaped just in time. But how? Oh, Christ. This is all your fault, Biker. And faster than we own. Sorry, Jordy. It's just, I think I've really hurt my... I think I've really hurt... I told Jordan that he was wrong to blame me. I lifted my chest high and told him that I was an award-nominated journalist. I was an old hat at pursuing a subject. I was unflappable. Stop crying. They were tears of valor. I reckon this big pile of shit was a deliberate present from Silver. They must have caught on that we were chasing them. Dog business is kind of like Silver's calling card to perhaps they don't like. Back to the drawing board. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. It was clear that Jordan Leach and I had hit it off. For some strange reason, he reminded me of my late father, Billy Bob. Billy Bob was a cruel man, hard and bitter, changed from Vietnam. He was an excessive drinker of caffeine, often knocking back two or three or four coffees before dinner time. I went through a phase when I'd wet my khaki shorts in fear whenever my father came home. He was a looming presence, and although he never told me that he loved me, I knew that he did. 
And although he actually ignored me most of the time, I knew it was because he wanted the best for me. Maybe it was something in his eyes, a, a jaded expression from a difficult time. But when Jordan Leach looked at me, I went weak at the knees and felt like wetting my pants. It took a bit of convincing, but eventually Jordan agreed to keep me on for a week. I had found myself invested in the hunt for silver, and though morally I had a lot of questions about the ethics of what Jordan was trying to do, I couldn't help but want to be there when or if he got his fabulous shot. My week with Jordy got off to a bad start. Chasing silver was like chasing a shadow, a shadow with the lights off, so it's impossible to see where the shadow actually is. But I was emboldened by the fact that all the shadows led to this thing that makes the shadow. And that thing would surely be Silver themselves. Silver was old school, didn't have social media, so it was impossible to know where they were going to be at any one time. But as luck would have it, I was a lucky man indeed. For little did I know that my stint on the gossip column for the LA Times would land us the jackpot. I was on a coffee run for dad, I mean Jordy, when I bumped into an old work colleague. I had my dictaphone in my pocket and dear listener, for your sake, it's always on. One cappuccino and an affogato, please. Name's Baker. Oh, hey, Tina. Hey, I didn't see you there. Oh, uh, sorry, do I know you? Baker. I was in gossip. Ooh, you got a lot of people in gossip. I was a guy who may or may not have wet his pants at the celebrity wrestling match. Oh, wow. Sorry, you're that guy? <laughs> that photo's hilarious. So are things busy at the LA Times? Never stops. After some small talk, for that's what it was, small talk never becomes big talk with small-minded people, I got onto the topic of silver. Chance would have it that at 4 p.m. on Friday, there would be the Fairfax Fofur Fashion Festival, and Silver's new line was set to be the centerpiece. And most importantly, Silver was sure to be there. I was so excited, I rushed out of the coffee shop completely forgetting to pay and told Jordan the news. He was thrilled. And it felt almost like, oh, I, I don't know, like a little like he was proud of me. We had a couple of days to prepare before the festival, and we spent them industriously. We cased the venue back to front, analyzing all possible entry and exit points for silver. I bought entirely camo outfits should our hunt require more bush work. We even researched some fashion lingo to help out our cover story. We were two up-and-coming fashionistas, looking to gain contracts at the festival. I would be called Stefano, and Jordan would stay as Jordan to save confusion. The day arrived. So, Jordan, can you tell me where we are? What the fuck are you talking about? You know exactly where we are. So good was I at undercover work that Jordan had completely forgotten that I was a journalist covering him and not an actual unpaid assistant. Yeah, I mean for the podcast. We are heading to the Fairfax Faux Fur Fashion Festival in order to track silver when they leave. There will be plenty of photographers here at the festival, but we are heading in covertly in order to blend in and get closer to our subject. Now, it's worth bearing in mind that I know 
all of the guys will be positioned with cameras on the red carpet, so we will be heading in via the back entrance. It's important to blend in and not blow our cover. And so we worked our way into the Fairfax Faux Fur Fashion Festival, here on in referred to with the acronym FFFFF. It began with anticipation. Everyone there was looking over each other's shoulders, trying to see if someone more important might show up that they could talk to, myself included. My cover character, Stefano, had somewhat taken over my psyche, and I was genuinely giving out cards in the hope for more design work. It was a haze, but I remember frequently telling people that pastels were coming in in a big way. It was worth noting, dear listener, that I am now recording this voice over a year after the investigation took place, and whether it was by chance, my influence, or genuine talent, but pastels are now very much in. In the Malay, I had lost Jordan, aka Jordan, and I didn't know what to do, so sought help at the nearest point. Attention, can Mr. Jordan Leach please make his way to the reception desk? Stefano is lost and is looking for you. That's a Mr. Jordan Leach. I knew that Jordan was a fool for not having prepared a pseudonym, and I hold him entirely responsible for the fact that our cover was blown and we were both forcibly asked to leave by the event organizers, who knew Jordan Leach by name. As I was strong-armed to the exit, handing out my last few business cards, I locked eyes with someone I recognized. The first thing I noticed was how golden their hair was, almost glowing. Silver, in all their majesty, towering two feet above everyone else. Cheekbones sharp enough to spiralize a zucchini. Their nails were long and red, and faux fur sprouted from every point of their long dress. I was immediately terrified and in love at the same time. Up until this moment, I had never realized just what it meant for a person to be magmatic. And don't forget that I have spent time with the Pope. But spying silver was an almost divine revelation. In the parking lot, it took a while before Jordan could speak to me. I can only assume he felt embarrassed for not thinking ahead and creating a pseudonym. We sat in silence on the curbside for an hour or so while Jordy calmed down. As always, my dictaphone was recording, but the best content I acquired was the sound of a car door opening beside us. Hey, Jordan, Jordan. Piss off. No, no, Jordan, look, that silver's black Mercedes. Oh shit, so it is. Silver's driver had got out of the car and was having a cigarette with one of the other drivers. That meant two things. The car was unoccupied and unlocked, which meant one thing, we could get inside. Without a moment to think things through, we both leapt into the trunk. Jordy, Jordy, the Mercedes are roomy, aren't they? Shut up. Yeah. There was no way to unlock the trunk from the inside, and we had neglected to remember that the FFFFF is notoriously long with some designers making their models circumnavigate the catwalk three times before circling it again at the end. During our time in the trunk, we heard the driver go through at least a whole packet of cigarettes. Eventually, we fell asleep 
amongst unused faux fur items. It was how I imagine it feels for a badger who's done well in life and managed to acquire a particularly warm and cozy badger hole. When I awoke, the car was on the move. From the front of the car, I could hear the 80s Billy Idol classic, White Wedding, playing on repeat. It was clear that Silver was a huge fan of that song. I started counting how many times the song started again. And with a running time of 8 minutes and 26 seconds, I deducted that the journey took us three and a half hours. That's 25.4 plays of the song. Sadly, dear listener, due to copyright lores in podcasting, I cannot play you any of the recordings from the trunk, as to include the song in this episode would be illegal, but feel free to stick it on in the background while listening to the next few moments. The Keener fans out there could even play the song 25.4 times in solidarity with Stefano, Jordan, and I. The car began to slow. I could feel an uneven surface beneath the tires of the vehicle and heard the crunch of fallen foliage. Eventually, we pulled to a stop, footsteps circling us. My heart was pounding and I pulled Jordan close. Hello, gentlemen. Fancy stepping out the trunk? Grab their cameras. At this point, while unsteadily exiting the warmth of the trunk into a dark forest, Silver's driver pulled our cameras out of our hands. Jordan's Canon SLR EOS 5D Mark IV and my Fujifilm Quicksnap Flash 400. Then, without a second thought, she smashed them hard against a rock, shattering them into deconstructed cameras. Both of them were now nothing more than promised dreams, hopes enacted, a disposable future disposed of. The loss of my Fujifilm Quicksnap I can live with, for it was only $1.99, but the snaps of me and Jordy during our week together were irreplaceable. The Canon SLR EOS 5D Mark IV with an EF 24-70mm f2.8 LUSM lens, though, was a top-of-the-range piece of kit and worth Jordy's entire livelihood. Next, Silver did something that left me aghast and agog. Elena, leave us. Silver's driver nodded got in the car and drove away, leaving us alone with Silver in the middle of the woods. I shivered, glanced at Jordy. He was staring at what was left of his camera and grinding his teeth. Jordan broke the silence. I can sue you for that. <laughs> Good luck serving me the papers. I don't have an address. But that's just you, isn't it? The type of person who tries to sue their way through life, living off other people like a parasite. What have you achieved? Nothing. You're always on the sidelines, a non-entity in the wall of flashes, or a little worm hiding in a bush. You lot are a virus. We escape one and four more replicate in its place. There's no vaccination for being relentlessly followed by you rotten scavengers. It's not easy being famous, you know. It's really bloody hard, actually. I know you, Jordan Leach. I know you followed my friend Brittany for years and relished the effects of your stalking. 
It was like milking a cow. The harder you yanked, the more rich and creamy the milk came out. But the yanking, it hurt that cow. And one day the cow can't take it anymore. And it kicks you. And you're there to photograph the kick. And you show the whole world what the cow has done. But the whole world doesn't know about the yanking. It only sees the kick. So the world judges and finds the cow contemptible. So puts the cow down. And yes, it might be delicious beef for a few days. And you gobble it up, don't you? But then the beef goes bad until it's so rotten that you can't ignore it. So you give it a front page. Look how rotten this beef has become. Hasn't it let itself go? Until eventually the beef is thrown in the bin and the cow is no more. But the truth is that it could have been a really happy cow. A laughing cow. If it hadn't been yanked so hard in the first place by you. I mean, I'm not saying Brittany is a cow. I. You know what, Silver? I, I, I agree with you. I recently came to Stardom from one of my podcasts. You, you might have heard of them. We are completely on the same page, you and I. I mean, I have had some of that experience myself. Jordan took a photo of me where it looked like I may or may not have... Shut up! You earn your money from the public, your public property. We own you, Silver. You're arrogant to think... We don't. And you're arrogant to think you do. Just because my work is public, does that not mean I'm entitled to working hours like anyone else? I knew it was you in the boot of my car. I could smell you. What were you hoping to achieve? Snap me in my underpants? Document me having a shit? Squeezing my spots? Picking my nose? What do you want? What is it? Is this a fetish? Do you get off on it? If I gave you all of these things, what would you want next? Where does it end, Jordan? I have things to hide, but so does everyone. And I want you to just fuck off and let me live my life. You can find your own way back to LA. Good luck. They had both made many good points. Good points that I thank them for making as someone whose work is in the public domain. But what happened next? I'm... I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Sometimes I wish that I was a documentary filmmaker and not an award-nominated podcaster because at least then you'd be able to see what I saw. I also wish that I had the footage to watch back in order to confirm my memory. As it is, once again, You must take my humble but honest word for it. You see, I had noticed that Silver dodged and ducked beneath the trees, never once allowing the moonlight to land on them. And I was about to discover why. Jordy bent down to retrieve the broken pieces of his camera. Another one of the rules of street photography is always take home the memory card. And so it was that Jordy exposed the small mirror in the inner workings of his device. It all happened so fast. A beam of moonlight cascaded from the mirror and hit Silver directly in their face. At that point, I barely believe it myself. Silver... Silver turned into a wolf. It started with their skin. 
Fur follicles burst through their clothing, no longer faux fur, but real, silvery fur. Their back arched, and they snarled, and their red-painted nails morphed into sharp, jagged claws. They dropped to the floor, and their muscles contorted and changed their whole body shape, transforming into that of a canine. Next, their human face looked up at us one last time before their nose became a long, snarling snout, teeth growing into sharp instruments of death. One part of silver remained unchanged. Their golden eyes glowing back at us as they looked up to the stars and howled. The beast drew close, saliva dripping from its fangs. I'm not ashamed to admit it, dear listener, but I cowered slightly behind Jordy. We were done for. This monster would surely turn us into mincemeat. But then, its ears pricked as it heard something on the breeze. I have not looked many wolves in the eye before. None, in fact. But I could distinctly register a glimmer of fear in its expression. Suddenly, it turned and ran into the shadows. Before Jordy and I had time to gather our thoughts, bang! the sound of a gunshot shooting. We moved toward the sound with trepidation. And what we saw next, dear listener, still keeps me up at night. Two hunters standing above Silver's bleeding body. Yee-hoo! We got ourselves a real cutie. I ain't never seen a beauty like it. Why, that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner all over again. And seconds. Don't forget my seconds. I love me my meat for seconds. And look at that fur. Hooey! I can make me a coat for the finest soirees and dues. Why, you'll be the darndest dandy I ever did see in a snazzly-dazzly coat like that. Yee-hoo! We got ourselves a real cutie. Sure did. I knew if we just kept on walking, we'd bag ourselves a big one. Now, how are we going to carry this mutt home? While we're at it, which way is home? Why well, ain't the directions, man. You're supposed to be directions. You should know, dear listener, that right now I am looking directly at the microphone as if I'm looking directly into your eyes. When I saw those two huntsmen reveling in the death of the world's most beloved supermodel, I couldn't help but to feel at least partly responsible. If I hadn't thought to give a helping hand to an up-and-coming newspaper such as the LA Times, I wouldn't have been at that wrestling match. I wouldn't have met Jordan Leach and Silver probably wouldn't be dead. Until the release of this podcast, the true story as to what happened to Silver had remained a mystery. Everyone assumed they simply retreated from the public life like they had been known to do in the past. No one could imagine a fate as gruesome as reality. Silver's body will never be found. Because at the time of death, Silver was a wolf. It took three weeks to walk back to LA, so I had plenty of time to think things over. I am here, walking alone, Jordan managed to hitch a lift and, and wouldn't let me get in the car. 
Again, like many other times, he reminded me of my late father. And as I walk, I am glad of my own thoughts. I guess everyone has their secrets, has their own reason for privacy, and we should respect that. Tom Cruise, it is said, likes to fornicate with Tom Cruise lookalikes after a Hunger Games-style ritual in his backyard. Mick Jagger is said to delight in stomping on newly hatched chicks, and Silver, well, Silver was a werewolf. Oh, wait. Here comes a truck. I'm just gonna see if I can nab a ride. The truck didn't stop, but eventually I made it back. I made it home. It's hard not to judge those hunters for murdering Silver, but when you really sit down in your flannel beanbag chair and think about it, what difference is there between a hunter and a celebrity photographer? Waiting in the bushes, stalking your prey, aiming your barrel and shooting without a second thought for the wider impact your shots will have. Jordan took Silver's death badly, and I believe the words Silver said to Jordan that night really did sink in. He turned his back on the world of paparazzi and changed his life around. He went home to London. Last I heard, he was working in a pharmacy in the photography section, printing out other people's photos. In some way, I guess, giving back. It doesn't matter what age you get to. All of us are still learning, and every day is a school day. I have tried to get in touch with Jordan, and like Pops, he tends not to respond. Maybe this chapter of his life, which I occupy, is too painful to revisit. And though it makes me sad, I can understand that impulse. Still, if you're listening to this, Jordy, I'm here. So call me. I had lots of prevailing memories in my time chasing celebrities with Jordan. But one moment from that long dark night sticks in most strongly. The stars. I can't remember the last time I'd seen stars like that. The lack of light pollution had made them vivid and bright. And I asked myself, what is the true color of a star? Many would argue that it's, well, that it's silver. And I would agree. There I was, in the gutter, looking up to the stars, and I realized that that's the problem. We see the stars and want to live like the stars. We see them and want a piece of their majesty. But the truth is, from their perspective, they're looking back at you, and you are the stars, and they are in the gutter. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. And so, I ask you, dear listener, on behalf of myself and all other people fortunate and unfortunate enough to live a life in the public eye, please, 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 oh please, please, Stick to the gutter you know, for the gutter is far more important than you can ever imagine. Without a gutter, the whole world would be filled with sewerage. I've been Baker Bugbrook, thank you, and good night.
That's award-winning. That's award-winning. Kelly, that's award-winning. Shooting Silver was voiced by Alex Williams, Keith Fleming, Yanina Smith, a.k.a. Richard Energy, Emma Ballantyne, Arthur McBain, and Owen Jenkins. Okay, Baker's back. Baker is back with a with a click. Well, you say back with a bang, don't you? But he's taking photos in this. Ah, okay. click. See Here's you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Have we got anything important to say? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll be back next week, and uh, yeah, please, as always, um, like, share, subscribe, and tell your mates. And uh, love you. Bye. The AI Alliance is sorry to interrupt your usual broadcast. We are grateful to our sponsors, Secure Mathematics, for making the Star Project possible. The Star Project. Coming soon. No, 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 wait. Um, um, we do actually have one thing. We're just going to remind you about the perfume. Aren't periods of adventurous past? Yeah, you can get the At Your Peril official perfume if you click the link in the description.